Amen. How are you doing this morning? Doing well? Amen. Well, turning your Bibles to Proverbs 3, verse 1. Proverbs 3, verse 1. And this morning I want to begin a brand new series in, entitled Strengthening Your Grip. Strengthening Your Grip. Proverbs 3, I want to read from the message paraphrase. It says, Good friend, don't forget all I've taught you. Do not forget everything that I taught you. Take heart my commands. They'll help you live long. A long time, a long life filled with good things and you will live well. Don't lose your grip. Everybody say, don't lose your grip. Turn to your neighbor and say, would you please get a grip? And for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how we can strengthen our grip. We're going to talk about how we can strengthen our grip when it comes to commitment, when it comes to purity, when it comes to trusting in God. In the next several weeks, I believe that God is going to help us to once again get a firm footing on those things in our life that are most important. In Proverbs 3, one of the wisest men that ever lived, King Solomon said, that if you follow God's commands, if you do what is right, and you don't lose your grip on love and loyalty, then God will bless you. God will open the window of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. He said, when you do right, when you keep a grip on integrity and character and loyalty and faithfulness and commitment, God will bless you with a long and prosperous life. He said, don't forget everything that I taught you. Don't forget God's commands. Tie them around your neck, he said. Put them on your heart. In fact, he said, tattoo them on your heart. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out, he said. Don't assume that you know it all, but run to God and run away from evil. Honor God in everything that you do in your life, he said, and then your body will glow with health and your bones will be very strong. He said, your barns will burst forth and your wine vats will brim over. In other words, he said, if you don't lose your grip on godliness, if you don't lose your grip on loving God, if you don't lose your grip on being faithful to God, faithful to your family, faithful to your friends, and do what God wants you to do, then God is going to bless you. How many of you in this room want to be blessed? Come on, say, I want to be blessed. And by the way, ushers, there's a couple of seats right up front. You can fill them up with people that might need a seat. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy. Take out your Bibles, take out your smartphones, whatever you got, and let's hear what God wants to say to us through His Word. So we're going to look at a lot of scriptures today. Deuteronomy 28, God says to us, if you fully obey me, and you're careful to follow every command that I give you, the Lord, he said, will bless you above all the nations of the earth. He said, if you obey me and do what I want you to do, he said, your, your womb is going to be blessed. 
He said, you're going to be blessed when you go in the city and you're going to be blessed when you're in the country. He said, you're going to be the head and not the tail. He said, you're not going to be the borrower, but you're going to be the lender. Hallelujah. He said, you're going to be victorious in spiritual matters of your life. And he said, I'm going to open the window of heaven and I'm going to pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain if you serve the Lord and if you keep your grip on being committed and loyal and loving God with all your heart. Now here's the truth. The truth is America is losing its grip. You see, even though America is the healthiest and wealthiest nation in the world, it's losing its grip on happiness. It's losing its grip on integrity. It's losing its grip on the more important things of life. In fact, did you know that a survey was done in 2004 and they found out that America was 16th, 16th in all the nations of the world when it comes to happiness. Now you would think for one moment that if we are the wealthiest and the healthiest nation in the world, we would be the happiest nation in the world. But did you know that America has more mental problems? Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. It's got more emotional problems. It's got more addictions. We're the most addicted nation on the face of this earth and it has more syndromes than any other culture, culture in history. In fact, did you know that uh, we are very unhappy? And why is America so unhappy? Well, I want to tell you that the truth is we rate 16th in happiness and the nation of Nigeria is number one. I should tell you something. Because actually Nigeria even though it ranks 90, uh, number one in happiness, it ranks 140th in the economy. And so even though they're very poor, even though they don't have half, not even a quarter, a fraction of what we have, somehow they've learned to be happy with what they have. They've learned that family life is more important than anything else. They've learned that virtues is more important than anything else. They've learned that church, family, and community is a very important thing. So why is America so riddled with emotional and mental disorders? It's because America is losing its grip on the, the very important things of life. We have traded integrity for money. We have traded virtue for cheap sex. We have traded honesty for deception. We have traded perseverance for quick fixes that don't last. We have traded true godly relationship with one night affairs. We have traded commitment for excuses and we've traded true godliness for a form of godliness that leaves us convicted on the inside and empty on the outside. Somebody help me out and say, oh God help us. Listen to me. While we've climbed the ladder of success, we've lost our grip on virtue. While we have ascended the ladder of materialism, we've lost our grip on commitment and faithfulness. While we have reached prominence when it comes to wealth and affluence, our society is bankrupt when it comes to moral purity and personal integrity and character. And the truth is, the church itself, the church of Jesus Christ, is also losing its grip. We used to be the light of the world. We used to be the salt of the earth. When the church spoke, people listened. 
Now when the church speaks, the world laughs. Because even though we say that we're virtuous people, even though we say that we're committed, even though we say that we're loyal and loving, and even when we say it with our mouth, we're not living it with our lives. The church has lost its grip on being the light and the salt of the earth. Many years ago, a great pre preacher, Charles Spurgeon, once said, Urgently, we need a revival of personal godliness. This is indeed the secret of the church's riches and prosperity. When individuals fall from their steadfastness, the church is tossed to and from. When personal faith is steadfast, the church abides in true loyalty to their Lord. But this morning, I believe that God wants to raise up a new generation. And I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about a group of people that want to regain their grip on virtue, that want to regain their grip on faithfulness, that want to regain their grip on loving God with all their heart, with all their soul, and all their mind. Would you bow your heads right now and pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would walk up and down the aisles of this church. I pray, God, for those that are watching via live stream, that, God, that you would touch our hearts again, God, and that you would give us a personal revival, God. I pray, Father God, for those that are watching, oh God, that they will get on their knees today, God, and they will repent of their sins, God, and they will ask you to intervene in their life, God, and that they will ask you, oh God, to fill them with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for those that are in the cafe. I pray for those that will hear this message Oh God, in other venues, in other places, God, that you will prick our hearts, oh God, and we will repent of our sins, God. And God, once again, Lord, you will turn our sorrow into dancing, God, and the church will be the happiest place on the face of this earth. And everyone said, yeah. You see, we're losing our ability to stand up and lead the world in what is true. What Paul the Apostle said, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is excellent and praiseworthy. But I believe this morning that we're going to regain our grip on those things that are most important to the heart of God. Why? Because Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I don't know about you, but I want to see a move of God. I want to see people heal. I want to see people come to the church and feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I want them to feel the power of God. I want them to be transformed by the power of God. I want to see the glory of God. I want to see the majesty of God. I want to see the holiness of God. I want to experience a touch of God in my life. And I want to encourage you to come out when we pray and we fast and we seek the, the face of God and we say, God, we want to see you again God we want to see you in all your glory but the Bible says who will ascend to the hill of the Lord who will see God in all of his glory those who have a pure heart and those who have clean hands because God is a holy God God is a thrice holy God and only those that are holy only those that are pure can ascend to the hill of the Lord that they might see the Lord God Almighty 
who will experience God's wonderful presence. Only those that are pure in heart and clean in hands. You see, why do we need to strengthen our grip this morning? Because Paul the Apostle says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. God said, I want to bless you. I want you to be the benefactors. I want you to be the recipient of my blessings in your life. I want you to prosper. I want you to have strong families. I want you to have a strong marriage. I want you to have peace in your life. I want you to have joy in your life. I want you to get along with one another. And I want you to cause a legacy to happen in your family where your kids will be blessed and your grandchildren will be blessed. And he said it only comes through understanding that godliness and contentment brings great gain in our life that we don't need to be the richest people in the world we need to be the people of virtue and godliness so our kids will it'll be passed on our kids and they'll pass it on to their children so the blessings of God will come upon our life and America is a, a sad example that you can be prosperous financially and bankrupt emotionally and spiritually and relationally but Paul tells us in 1st Timothy chapter 4 verse 8 for physical training does some good. I think that's good. How many of you in this room, I'm going to ask you a question, be honest. How many of you in this room wished that you exercised? Let me see your hands. How many of you in this room, you do exercise? Let me, I'm not talking about getting up, going to the refrigerator, and then going back to the couch to watch the football game. I'm talking about exercising. And exercising is a good thing. My doctor tells me all the time when I see him, are you exercising? And I say, I tend to exercise more in the summertime. I love riding my bike, but then the wintertime I kind of fall off a little bit. But they say exercising is great for your heart. You know that exercising is great even for your peace of mind. That when you exercise, you, uh, it, it, it stimulates your body. You feel better. I know that's hard to believe. You get out of bed and it's like, the last thing I want to do is exercise. But the truth is when you start to exercise, you feel better. Physically, emotionally. If you struggle with anxiety, burn it out. Burn that anxiety out with exercising. If you struggle with depression, burn that depression out. By exercising, because your body actually lets off chemicals to make you feel better. So turn to your neighbor right now and say, you better start exercising. And Paul the Apostle says, bodily exercising or training, physical training, profited little. What is he saying? Yeah, it profits some. But it doesn't profit as much as training yourself to be godly. He says, because when you train yourself to be godly, he said, there's rewards in this world and the world to come. Somebody say amen. amen. Maybe you're losing your grip on training yourself to be godly. Maybe this morning you feel like you're barely hanging on. You've been sorely tempted by the evil one. You've dropped your guard. You're struggling with sin. You're struggling with temptation. You've lost your grip on purity. And you're struggling with your thought life. Your thought life is going to places that it ought not go. 
You're struggling with the things that you know are going to take you down in the long run. Maybe some of you men are struggling with pornography and you're filled with guilt and condemnation. Maybe you're struggling with being committed to your vow, staying committed to God, staying committed to your spouse, staying committed to your church, staying committed to your children. Maybe you're struggling to do what is right. You know there's things in your life that you need to do but you're not doing it. Maybe you're struggling with your devotional life or maybe you're struggling with just trusting God and obeying His heart and His life and His will for your life and maybe you're just barely hanging on and you're desperate to regain your grip of a godly life. You're desperate to regain your grip on your marriage or you're desperate to regain your grip on being right before the Lord. Well guess what? I want you to know there's hope in this place today because God's mercies are new every day and you can forget what is behind and you can press on this morning. You can come to the foot of the cross and you can repent for losing your grip and God will get a grip of you as the Bible says if you draw nigh to God and you grip the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ He'll come again and He'll forgive you and He'll wash you of your sins and He'll give you a new brand new start. Glory to God. All things are passed away and all things will become new again in your life. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And I promised myself I wouldn't preach, to, but I'd teach today, but I got excited. Four of you got me excited this morning. And so this morning, I want to start my new series on gaining a grip, strengthening your grip, by talking about godliness. Why? Because I believe that godliness is the real goal of every Christian's life. What does it mean to be godly? Does it mean that you come to church seven days a week? Does it mean that you pray 24-7? Does it mean that you read your Bible more than anyone else? Does it mean that you do good works? Absolutely not. Even though all those things are so important in our life. That reading our Bible is so important. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I would not sin against thee. How can a young man keep his way pure? By hiding the word of God in his heart. And the word of God is the bread of life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Is prayer important? Yes. Because Jesus said when you pray, when you fast, you're going to find power in your life. When we get alone with God, when we quiet ourselves, when we still ourselves, and we're in the secret closet, God can speak to us. Prayer is so important. Is fasting important? Jesus said when you fast. I was so blessed on a couple of nights ago my daughter called me up and she said dad she says we're having a conversation about fasting they were at a restaurant I didn't understand that but and it was such a joy of mine to know that my daughter and her friends are talking about fasting and one of the girls said well why do we fast and I said because fasting helps us to say no Fasting helps us to discipline ourselves because every one of us in this room, we need food. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't need as much as you eat though. We need food. We love food. Come on, everybody say, I love food. The truth is we love food and we love to eat. I, I know you can't believe this, but I love to eat. Love food. Can't wait. To eat. In fact, I'm going to eat right, I'm going to leave right now. I'm hungry right now. 
I've been here for a long time already. We love food. In fact, we idolize food. When we get depressed, we eat food. We go in the refrigerator and we, we get some ice cream out. And some of you, you eat like four cartons of ice cream. When we get anxious, we eat. When we get depressed, when we get lonely, when we get fearful, we eat. We like to eat, you know. I mean, in fact, I, I, I've, I've been to four funerals, bless God, for some wonderful people in my life. And it's been difficult. But after every funeral, especially an Italian funeral, what's the next thing you do after you leave, you leave the cemetery? In fact, you didn't even leave the cemetery. You're talking about what restaurant are we going to? You know, I love the, I love the movie Fatso. Do you ever see the movie Fatso? Go rent it. It's hysterical, you know. You know, he, it's an Italian guy who's got a, a weight problem, you know, and, and so he just buried his brother and he goes home and he's dipping, he's dipping the Italian bread. I'm like, this is me. He's dipping the Italian bread in the sauce, the big pot of sauce while he's crying. My brother, oh, God, oh, oh, eat, eat. We love food. And it's really important to be disciplined in those areas of prayer and reading the word and gathering together it's important to discipline ourselves to get up and go to church because in the fellowship of one another we can encourage one another and bless one another those things take discipline in our life but listen to me the goal of our life is not any of those things the goal in our life is to be godly and what does it mean to be godly you know I, w I looked in the dictionary I looked in Webster's dictionary I looked in all kinds of different topical Bible studies and you know what I just think they missed it all so I had to come up with my own definition of godliness here it is Steve Malazzo's definition of godliness to be godly is to be godlike to be godly is to be like God to be godly is to be Christ-like and that's the goal of our life look with me if you would at Romans chapter 8 verse 29 Romans 8 29 I love the book of Romans and I love Romans 8, therefore there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For what the law was powerless to do, Christ did in himself. And then what does it say in Romans chapter 8 verse 28? All things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And what does Romans 8.29 said? For whom God foreknew, he also predestined that we should be what? Conformed to the what? Image of his Son. And so being godly is being godlike. The goal of our life is to look like Jesus. The goal of our life is to love the way Jesus loved. As Paul the Apostle said, follow me as I follow Christ's example. And so our life, our whole goal is that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus so that the world can see our Savior living in us. So the world can see our Savior flowing out of us. So the Lord can see that we are the light of the world. Why? Because Jesus himself said he was the light of the world. The goal of our life is to be a reflection of Christ in all that we do. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 11 says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. You ought to be holy and be Christ-like. First Peter chapter 1 verse 13, Therefore, prepare your mind for actions. Be self-controlled. 
set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Be separate, be holy because I am separate and holy. The word separate means to be, uh, or, or, or sanctified means to be separate. The word holy means to be pure. And the Bible says that we ought to live holy lives and pure lives. Why? Because that's what Jesus is. He is holiness. He is purity. So this morning we're going to strengthen our grip on being godly or being Christ-like. Someone once said, godliness is a devotion to God which results in a life that pleases Him. I love that. Let me say that again. Godliness is a devotion to God which results in a life that pleases Him. Listen to me. Godliness is not trying to be good. Godliness isn't trying to be pious. Godliness isn't practicing being good. Speak, Lord. Speak. I'm going to switch off of this and I'm going to take that mic right there. Okay? Is everybody all right with that? But godliness is the practice of being like Christ. So how does a person become godly? How does a person become godly? Well, let me suggest to you that godliness is both a work of God and a work of discipline in our life. Godliness is both a work of God and discipline that a Christian puts them through who is devoted to God as they train themselves how to be godly. Look at Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 with me, please. This is one I really want you to turn to. Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have already obeyed and always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Wow. You see, we need to still recognize that God is a holy God. He's a thrice holy God. Now in the Greek, that phrase work out doesn't mean that you try to do it in your own strength. What it means is bring to completion the work that God started in you. Bring it to completion. Work it out in your life. Let God work in you as you work it out in your life. Notice what it says. Look on with me. It says, for it is God who both wills and does of his good pleasure in our life. It is God who gives us the will. It is God that changes our life. And it is God who gives us the power to do the work of God that he calls us to do. So godliness, number one, is a work of God. Write that down. Godliness is not a work of human effort. It doesn't start by you trying harder. It doesn't start by you being religious. It doesn't start by you trying to be holy. 
It starts at the foot of the cross. It starts at the throne room of God. It starts as you cry out to God and you recognize there's no way in the world that I can be good enough to please God. There's no way in the world that I can be holy enough to get to heaven. There's no way in the world that I can will to be good because there's something wrong in my heart. There's sin in my heart and that sin needs to be dealt with. So I've got to come humbly before the Lord and say, God, God, there's nothing good in me God the only thing that's good in me is what you put in me so I humble myself before you and I cry out to you and I ask you for divine intervention that you may change my life glory to God someone once said godliness is the outward display of a heart changed by God and dedicated to following after him let me say that again godliness is the outward display of a heart that's been changed by God and a dedication to follow Him with all of our heart. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. You can try to be godly. But godliness is actually a curious embroidery and workmanship of the Holy Spirit. A soul furnished with godliness is damasked with beauty and with purity. This is the clothing wrought of gold which makes the king of heaven fall in love with us. Wow! Did you know that God loves every one of us? But God doesn't like every one of us. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, God's our father. God loves us with an everlasting love because He is love. But God doesn't like every person. And there's a big difference. The truth is, I can love somebody, but I might not like what they do. I might feel very uncomfortable around them. You know, I tell my daughters, I love every one of them. I love them with all my heart. But sometimes I don't like them. And I love my wife. And I love her with all my heart. And she loves me, but sometimes she doesn't like me. Because sometimes we're unlikable. Sometimes we're downright rascals. Sometimes we're disobedient. Sometimes we're rebellious. Sometimes we're obstinate. Sometimes we're stubborn. And God doesn't like us. But God wants to change us because He loves us. And the Bible tells us that because He's our Father, He disciplines us because He loves us with an everlasting love. But the truth is, unless God does His work in us, we will never ever be godly. I love the book of Romans. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Paul the Apostle says, we know that the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual. How many of you feel unspiritual? Let me see your hands. The rest of you are absolute liars. He said, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. He says, I don't understand this. He says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. 
And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing it over and over again. He says, and so what's the problem? He says, I find sin in my heart. As Jeremiah said, the heart is utterly wicked. Who knows the heart of man? It is utterly wicked. And so Paul the Apostle says, there's sin right there, captivating my mind, captivating my heart. He says, who will rescue me from this body of sin? He says, thanks be to God. I find my deliverance. I find my victory. I find my freedom in the intervention that God gave me when he sent his only begotten son into the world when Jesus died on the cross he divinely intervened for you and I because we could never be good enough we could never be worthy enough we could never be holy enough and when he intervened for us he opened the door so that we can have a relationship with God so that when God came into us our lives he sent his Holy Spirit so that he would change our heart so that we would want to love him so that we would want to serve him and that we would be changed by the power of God Divine intervention. That's what you need. That's what I need. Divine intervention. Where God will rescue us because sanctification and godliness is a work of the Holy Spirit. We can try all we want. But the truth is, you're only going to be godly when you surrender to the power of the Spirit in your life. Paul the Apostle says in Galatians, and I'm going to give you a homework assignment. I want you to write this down. Read Galatians. I will read Galatians this week. Galatians chapter 1 all the way to Galatians chapter 6. I want to encourage you to read it. Paul the Apostle says to the Galatians, having begun by grace, having begun in the Spirit, are you now trying to please God in your flesh? And that's so dangerous to think that we're, we're saved for a moment by grace, but then all of a sudden, when we come to the foot of the cross and we receive forgiveness of our sin, now I have to do the rest of the work. Now, it is a work of discipline. We're going to talk about it. But you see, the beginning work of changing in your life, the starting place of your journey of discipleship and your journey to be God-like, godly, Christ-like, starts with God. It doesn't start with you. And it starts by inviting the Spirit of God to come into your life and change you, to empower you. Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jerry Bridges says, God-like character is both a fruit of the Spirit as He works within us and the result of personal effort. We are both totally dependent upon His working within us and totally responsible for our own character development. Wow. That's hand in hand working with God. Romans 8 chapter 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by my sinful nature. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit of God. The mind that sets its heart on the flesh is death. But the mind that sets his heart on the spirit is life and peace. 
Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You, however, are not controlled by your sinful nature. But you are controlled by the Spirit of God. Friend, you're never going to be godly until you give control over to the Holy Spirit. You see, the problem with too many of us is we're resisting and grieving the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to you on a daily basis, but we're not listening. He's speaking to you and He wants to do a work in your life, but you've got to surrender. You've got to make the Spirit of God in your life Lord of every area of your life. What area of your life are you losing your grip? That's the very area of your life that the Holy Spirit is not Lord of your life. Galatians chapter 5, Paul the Apostle said, And these are the characteristics of the Spirit. That when you're walking in step with the Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're controlled by the Spirit, then you will get your grip again. You will regain your footing on loving God. You will regain your footing on being peaceful and joyful and gentle and self-control and faithful in your life. Why? Because those are the fruit, the characteristic of the Spirit. I plead with you today, surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. He will do that work. And godliness, number three, is a work of grace. It's a work of grace. Godliness, someone said, is the product of a heart forgiven, changed, and empowered by the atoning grace of Jesus. Nothing whatsoever pertaining to godliness and real holiness can be accomplished without grace. I've said it before, I'll say it again. So many people, they define grace as unmerited favor. And I think that's a pretty good definition. But that's not good enough for me. My definition of grace is this. Grace is God giving you what you need, when you need it, even though you don't deserve it. That is the definition of grace. That God will give you the power to live a godly life by His grace. That God will forgive you of your sins, of all of your past, by His grace. God loves you by His grace. And God gives you power. God gives you freedom. God gives you forgiveness. God gives you everything that you need by His grace. You don't deserve it. You can't work for it. And there are many times that you frustrate yourself. But if you fall at the feet of Jesus and you ask Him for His grace, He'll come by His wonderful grace and He will empower you. That's why Paul the Apostle said that when I am strong, He makes me, when I am weak, He makes me strong. Why? Because His grace is is sufficient for me for whatever the task whatever I'm trying to regain my grip whenever I come to the end of myself I find the grace of God that grace rope is lifted to me and it's ascended down to me by the power of God so that he can say I love you I forgive you not because you deserve it but because I'm full of grace godliness is a work of grace notice turn with me to Titus chapter 2 verse 11 for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us how to say no to ungodliness. And what is ungodliness? We know what godliness is. Godliness is being like Christ. Ungodliness is being the opposite of who Christ is. 
Ungodliness is being hateful instead of loving. Ungodliness is being unforgiving instead of reconciling. Ungodliness is being darkness instead of being light. Because Jesus is light. And so it says the grace of God has appeared unto all men and it teaches us to say no to sin. Wow. That, that grace has been given to you as your schoolmaster. Grace has been given to you as your teacher. Grace has been given to you to empower you to say no to sin. Everybody, let's practice. Say no. Say no. No to sin. It says God's grace is there. And God will never allow you to be tempted above what you can handle. But He will always give you the grace to escape from that temptation. Somebody say amen. His grace will always be with you. It teaches you how to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control upright and godlike or godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to me. When all of your good efforts fail, God is there to change you by His grace. When all your attempts to be holy come up short and leave you feeling like a failure, God's grace is there to pick you up and empower you to be God-like. Grace is God's power. Grace is God's forgiveness. Grace is God's way of telling you and I that I already know that you could never be holy in yourself. That's why I saved you by my grace. That's why I accepted you by my grace. And that's why I will keep you by my grace. And that's why I will finish the work that I began in you. Because it's a work of grace from the beginning to the end. Somebody say amen. But the truth is, as I close this morning. And you know what? I'm losing some of you this morning. So I want you to stand up. Would you right now? Just stand up. Everybody stand up. And turn to your right. Everybody just turn to your right. And put your hands on the shoulders of the person next to you. And just say, it's going to be alright. Give them a little massage. Come on. Give them a little massage and say, it's going to be alright. Alright. Now I want you to turn the opposite direction and put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you and just give them a little massage and say it's gonna be alright it's gonna be alright alright you could be seated so 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 godliness is a work of God it's a work of the Spirit and a work of grace. But Paul also says it's a work of discipline. That godliness is a discipline fighting the good fight of faith, grabbing on to eternal life and holding on tight, gripping it tight. Godliness is a discipline fighting for the good fight of faith, grabbing on to eternal life and holding on tight. That's where we come in. Now even though godliness is a work of God and a work of grace, Paul the Apostle tells us to train ourselves to be godly. What do you mean train yourself to be godly? How does one train themselves to be godly? If it's a work of grace and a work of God, 
then why do we have to be disciplined in our life? Why didn't God just turn us into robots? Why don't God just make us, force us to do His will? I'll tell you why. Because God has given us a free will. And He will never take His, your free will away from you. He's still saying, but you have to choose. But you've got to choose to do right. You've got to choose life over death. You've got to choose purity over impurity. You've got to choose God over Satan. You've got to choose God over the things of this world. You've got to do the right thing because I've given you a free choice. That's love, folks. And you cannot say that you love God with all your heart. You cannot say that you love God with all your mind, soul, and strength unless you have a choice to choose to love God. And so saying no to temptation is a discipline. Saying no to temptation is important. Why? Because Paul says without the discipline of saying no to temptation, God can't do the work of godliness in your life. Without, listen to me, look at me. Without the discipline of prayer and learning how to be still in the presence of God Almighty, God can never do the work of godliness in you. We're running here and there and God's saying, Discipline yourself. Be still and let me do the work in your heart. Without the discipline of reading God's word, filling your heart with God's word, as David said, how does a young man keep himself pure? By hiding the word of God in his heart. Without the discipline of daily filling your heart and your mind with God's word, God cannot speak to you about the things that he wants to speak to you about when it comes to purity and godliness. The Holy Spirit cannot convict you unless you put the word of God in your heart. Without the discipline of forgiving others, God cannot forgive you. Without the discipline of fellowship, of coming together, and that is a discipline. Without the discipline of a small group, and let me tell you, I'm so proud of the young adults here, the young professionals in this room. They started three small groups. My daughters started a small group in our home, and I, I really want to invite some of you young people to come over to my house for a Bible study. Remember that bat? No, I'm just kidding. Without the discipline of fellowship, without coming together, so often we want to drift, become our own island, and it takes discipline to say, no, I'm going to show up for small groups. I'm going to show up for church because every time I go to church, I hear the Word of God. I'm encouraged by the Word of God. I'm challenged by the Word of God. It takes discipline to get up and get to church. And without those disciplines in our life, without the discipline of learning and trusting God, without the discipline of faith in our life, trusting God, God cannot do the work that He wants to do. God cannot do the work of godliness in our life unless, listen, we are broken, yielded, available, surrendered, hungry, and disciplined by God. Now, I don't agree with everything that John MacArthur says, but I want to I read this. I think this is very powerful. Godly character is not the result of good intentions, wishful thinking, some mystical zap, or even sheer Bible knowledge. It's developed through the self-disciplined application of God's Word at a very basic level, enabled and empowered by God's Spirit. Paul the Apostle says, Timothy, train yourself to be godly.
The word in the Greek for train is nude. What he said was, is if you're going to be godly, you got to train yourself in the nude. Have you lost your mind, pastor? You see, the Greek athletes would literally train in the nude. Now, that's a scary sight. But Greek athletes would strip themselves naked and train as an athlete because they realized that anything that was on them would inhibit them and weigh them down from being a great athlete. Now, I'm not suggesting in any way that you go to Synergy and strip down in the nude and train, all right? Please don't say that I said that. But Paul the Apostle tells us that we are to train ourselves in such a way, discipline ourselves in such a way that we see godliness in our life. And the writer of Hebrews says we are surrounded with a cloud of witnesses. Therefore, let us cast off every weight that encumbers us, every weight that weighs us down, and let us run our race with perseverance, keeping our eyes on Christ. And friend, discipline comes when we put down those things that are weighing us down. Those things that are keeping us from being godly. That's called repentance. That's called recognizing that if I'm going to be godly, I've got to train myself. I've got to strip myself of those things that are keeping me from being the man or woman of God that God wants me to be. So, being godly is a work of God. Being godly is a work of the Spirit. Being God, godly is a work of grace. But being godly is also a work of discipline. Something that America has lost is this art of being disciplined. And if we're really going to please God, then we must get rid of anything that will keep us from being excellent in this area of godliness. We must rid ourselves of the habits and sins and tendencies and distractions that hinder us from being like Jesus. The writer of Hebrews goes on and he says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines you because he loves you. And he punishes everyone who is his child. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Endure hardship, he said, and discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained in discipline. Paul the Apostle in closing writes this. Did, do you not know that in a race all runners race, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way that you would get the prize. Everyone who goes into competition competes to get the crown. He said, so run in a way in which you will get the crown of glory. So the pathway of godliness is recognizing that we're weak and we're sinful. And that we need to surrender to God. 
We need to be forgiven and transformed and filled with the Spirit of God. And then we need to go into training. We need to be disciplined, casting off every weight so that we can strengthen our grip once again so that God can do a great work in our life. And Paul the Apostle then tells us, for physical training has some value, but godliness and contentment has great value in this world and the world to come. I know about you, but when I get to heaven, I want to receive my reward. And Jesus tells me, if I discipline myself, if I let God work in my life, one day, God's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful, disciplined servant of the Lord. Paul the Apostle says, godliness and contentment has great gain. I was just speaking to a good, good friend of mine. He was visiting the church. He lives in Ohio. And he began to tell me about his children. They're older now. They're in their 20s. And one is a worship pastor in a church. Another one's doing ministry in another church. And we started to rejoice together. And it clicked in my mind. When he said that to me, and I thought about my beautiful girls, and how they love the Lord, and how they're doing the work of the Lord. Godliness and contentment brings great gain. Not only in this world, but the world to come. And I think to myself, if I'm godly, I can pass that heritage onto my children and their children and their children and the blessings of God will come on my life and we agreed together my friend and I there's nothing more powerful or greater in our life than our kids who love God who are serving God who are blessed by God godliness and contentment brings great gain in this life and the life to come I don't know about you but I want to get to heaven and no man will see God without godliness let's pray father in the name of Jesus Christ I pray that the power of your spirit be in this room right now maybe you're here today right now the sound of my voice every head bowed every eye closed not looking around but you say to me pastor Steve I'm not certain that if I died today I'd go to heaven and I need Jesus to, to forgive me. I want to be godly. I even tried to be godly on my own and I failed. And so I gave up. But now I'm not going to try to do it myself. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. But you say, Pastor, right now I'm not certain that if I died I'd go to heaven. And I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins and to come into my life. In the balcony, on the first floor via live stream in the cafe you say pastor would you pray for me right now I want you to raise your hand quickly in this place all over this place God bless you God bless you all over this place God bless you God bless you although yes 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 in this place you say pastor pray for me in the balcony you say I'm not sure that if I died today I'd go to heaven and I need Jesus to forgive me of my sin raise your hand right now quickly quickly as we go on yes 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 all over this place you say pastor pray for me I want everybody to stand to your feet. Lord, help us today, God, to give, get us a, a new grip on, on purity and godliness in our life, God. But if you, you raise your hand today, you say, Pastor, I need to, to, to repent of my sins. I, I need to ask God to forgive me of my sins, and I need to do it now. I want you, at, in a moment, I want you to turn to your neighbor 
and I want you to say, are you sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And if they say, I'm not sure, then say, you know what, I'll go with you and we'll go get prayed for together. Would you do that right now? Ask the person, don't ever take anything for granted. And say, and, and, and if you raised your hand, I want you to step out of your seat right now and come. I want to pray for you. If you raised your hand, come quickly. If you raised your hand, come out of your seat in the balcony. Don't let that balcony keep you. Just come out of your seat. We want to pray for you right now. We want to pray for you. Come. Anybody else? You need to come quickly. Quickly. Just come. You see, I need to be prayed for today. I need to be prayed for today. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to accept Christ as my Savior. Anybody else? You come today. Anybody else? I'm not sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. And I need Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. Anybody in the balcony? You come quickly. Come quickly. Anybody else? Don't, don't let that seat keep you there. But just come out of your seat quickly. Anybody else? You need to come. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else need to come? You come quickly. You come quickly. God is speaking to you. Listen, this is a work of God today. God's going to do, listen to me, look at me everybody. God is going to do a work in your life. God's going to do a work today in your life. I, I can guarantee you that if you're repentant, if you're humbled before the Lord, God is going to do a work in your life. If you're in the balcony, you can come right now. Anybody else? You need to come. Anybody come quickly. Hallelujah. I want to pray for you. I want to pray God's blessing. And then we've got some workers that are going to give you material. I'd like for all of you that came forward, would you just move to this, to my left right here? Just come and move to my left quickly, quickly. Praise God. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering and bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, now listen. Before we go on, before we go on, and we're going to pray. Guys, we're going to pray for them right now. Guys, guys, look at me. Hello. We're going to pray for them right now. All right? Before you start talking to them, I want to pray a blessing over them. Let's pray. Extend your hand towards these wonderful people right now. This is awesome, isn't it? Come on, let's pray for them. I, I want you to pray that God changes their life. I want you to pray that God blesses their life. I want you to pray that God speaks to them. And I want you to pray that God changes them completely come on young man come on young man anybody else you need to come you can come anybody else that needs to come let's pray everybody pray I want you to pray in the spirit I want you to pray God's power over their life father in the name of Jesus Christ we pray right now that you would bless these folks that have come forward and those that wanted to come forward God Jesus I pray that you would touch their lives right now God Lord, I pray that they would know that you love them and that, that godliness is not something we do in our own self, in our own strength, but godliness is something that you begin and that you end. But God, I pray that we would never lose our grip on godliness. And we thank you for these folks in Jesus' name. And everyone said, give the Lord a clap offering. Would you sing this with us? Before you leave, would you sing this with us? I want you to raise your hands and sing this with us. And make it a prayer to the Lord. Sing this. Faithfulness, faithfulness to what I long for. Faithfulness is what I 